And um, this morning we're back in the book of Acts. And um, if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that uh, that last year uh, we preached uh, through the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. We're preaching through the whole book and we're doing it in, in various chunks. Um, we're back. Um, we're in Acts chapter 13 now. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's first missionary journey um, as he was sent out. And uh, we're calling this um, this series of messages, Mission Impossible. And um, so we're picking up the story in, in Acts chapter 13, um, which is with the Antioch church. Um, and this is really a fantastic church. It's a church from which we get a lot of our vision that we've been speaking about um, in, in a lot of detail over the last couple of weeks. It's also the church that sent out Paul and Barnabas um, on this missionary journey that literally changed the face of the known world at that time. And so uh, Excited to get back into this book, and uh, we're going to pick it up uh, in Acts chapter 13 and read the first three verses. So, um, so here we go. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the sovereign one. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are on the throne. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you, Lord, that what you were doing in this church in Antioch, what you were doing with the early disciples, thank you that you are doing the same things in 2022 in Nairobi, in one tribe, and across the globe. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shapes us, that it forms us, that it instructs us. And so Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we just pray, Holy Spirit, will you be upon us this morning? Will you speak to us? Will you apply this to our lives? Lord, will you make it relevant? Will you challenge us and encourage us? And Lord, we want to be as passionate for you as these early disciples were. We want to do the things that they did. And so we just pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine this morning as we begin this message that you are on the receiving end of a letter from your daughter who has been away at college and she writes the following. Dear mom and dad, since I left for college, I have been remiss in writing and I am sorry about my thoughtfulness in not having written before. I will bring you up to date, but before I do, please sit down. Are you sitting down? It is very important that you sit down before continuing to read this letter. I'm getting along pretty well now that the skull fracture and concussion I got when I jumped out my dormitory window, when it caught fire shortly after my arrival, has largely healed. I only get these sick headaches a couple of days at a time. Fortunately, the fire in my dormitory and my jump was witnessed by the young gardener at our residence. He ran over, took me to hospital, and continued to visit me there. When I got out of the hospital, I had nowhere to live because of the burnt condition of my room, and he was kind enough to invite me to share his basement bedroom apartment with him. It's sort of small, but it's very cute. He is a fine young man and we have fallen deeply in love and we are planning to get married. We haven't said the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy starts to show. Yes, mom and dad, I am pregnant. I know how much you are looking forward to being grandparents and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same tender care and devotion you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has an infection that I carelessly caught from him. I know, however, that you will welcome him into our family with open arms. He is kind, and although not well-educated, he is ambitious. In conclusion, now that I have brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have concussion or skull fracture. I am not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. 
I do not have an infection and there's no boyfriend in my life. However, I have failed history and science and I wanted you to see these results in their proper perspective. And um, the vantage point from which we see things can make a massive difference. Seeing things from a different perspective can be very illuminating. And that, this morning we come to a passage uh, in, in Acts chapter 13 which highlights something very significant. It, it shines forth the glory and the majesty and the magnificence of the church. And I, my desire this morning is for us to see this, maybe some of you to see it for the first time, to see the church from God's perspective. The fact that is it is a city on a hill that the light cannot be hidden, that is advancing God's kingdom and pushing back the darkness. And so I want to trace the Antioch church from its genesis to its formation in the book of Acts so that we can see the kind of church that God is wanting to build, the kind of church that sent Paul out and the kind of church that Paul was looking to multiply as he planted churches all across the Roman world. And so this message kind of serves as a bridge uh, in our Acts series as we look back to see the, the type of community that the Holy Spirit um, was creating um, but also as we look forward to see all that they achieved through sending out their best on mission to the nations. And I just want to say that in preparing this message, I've benefited hugely from a message that, um, that Steve Van Ryan preached on this passage. Steve, uh, for many years, led Jubilee Community Church, um, which is the church that uh, Belinda and I are originally from in Cape Town. And uh, my testimony is that in the formative years of my life, particularly as I was at university when I started going to Jubilee, it was messages like this, it was God's work in my life that helped to change my perspective and helped me to see the beauty of the church. And it was a beauty that was so captivating that I was willing to, to give my, my best days, my best energies to it. And actually, it's something that has fundamentally shaped how I live my life, how we as a family are living our life. And I think it's true that for many, the church kind of seems a bit more like a grocery store. It's kind of something that's, that's there. It's, uh, it's convenient. You can, you can go when you need something and get it. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, we kind of go along without it really being life-changing, dynamic, demanding of our full lives. And uh, that's something that I, I want to change your perspective on this morning, if that's you. I want to help you to see that this is something that's worth giving your life for because it's what Jesus gave his life for. And so I want to look at the Antioch Church. I want to pick out 10 characteristics of this church um, and as we go along, um, provide applications for us on each point. And so the first and most fundamental thing is that this was a community that was defined by the gospel. The genesis of the Antioch church is um, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter preaches. And that day, 3,000 people cross the line of faith. They go from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. And, um, and some of those followers that believed in Jesus that day were those that later when they were scattered, went to Antioch and formed this church. And so prior to the preaching of the gospel, this community did not exist. It's the gospel that created the community. If you remove the gospel, you don't have a people. And this is true of every truly New Testament church. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2 um, and verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, one tribe, once we were not a people, we didn't have anything in common, but now we are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what ought to define every believing community is that they have received mercy from God. Full stop. That is the defining characteristic of the church. And so the first thing I want you to notice is it's the gospel that creates this community. The church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch were both birthed of people responding to the gospel message. We mustn't make the mistake of thinking that the church is founded on anything else, founded on, on cultural upbringing, social preferences, political ideologies. 
things that are sort of common denominators that create homogeneity, the church is rather formed as individual after individual responds to the gospel messages from many different backgrounds and are formed into one new man in Jesus. And that can be sometimes misunderstood. And so some people, you, you may be here and you may be thinking that actually the, the church is, is more like a Mary Poppins club and that really puts me off. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, you may, if you have watched the, the movie Mary Poppins, remember that there's this classic scene um, where Mary Poppins has this magical measuring tape, which kind of actually measures people, it reveals their true character. And um, so she, she measures the, the children that she's responsible for. She measures the first one and it says, extremely stubborn and suspicious. She measures the second one and it says, rather inclined to giggle, doesn't put things away. And the boy, not to be outdone, says, Mary Poppins, why don't you measure yourself? And so she, she obliges and she measures herself and she says, just as expected, Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. And so maybe the, the reason why you're put off church is because you think it's full of people that, are, that consider themselves practically perfect in every way. And uh, friends, if that's your experience of church, then I've got great news for you because that is not the case. Christians are not practically perfect in every way, as Sean was already saying this morning. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Christians, we recognize that we are fundamentally flawed, we are fundamentally fallen, that we are in need of a savior, and uh, that we are not perfect in any way. Christians, we're not those that, that have outperformed others morally in any way, but rather those who have been honest enough to admit that we aren't perfect and that we need assistance, that we need to be rescued and rescued other, none other than by God himself. You see, self-righteousness and the gospel cannot coexist. You cannot project perfection or self-reliance and believe the gospel at the same time because that is com to completely misrepresent the gospel because what it's about is God's mercy, it's about his forgiveness, and it's about his grace alone. That is what forms the community from many different backgrounds. It's the thing that brings us together. And so 1 Peter 2.10 could be said of this church. If you look around this morning, um, you'll just see a great amount of diversity. And uh, the thing that brings all of this diversity together is the gospel, which is the same in the Antioch church as we will see. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we hadn't received mercy, but now we've received mercy. And if you're a follower, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, hey, how can I join into this? Then my answer to that is very simple. You just need to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, ask for mercy. You need to submit to his lordship and leadership, believing that he came to rescue you, that he came to live a perfect life without sin and then to go to the cross to offer a great exchange, to, to die in our place, to die for the for the sin and imperfection that's in our life, to, to bear the punishment from God for that, and in return, to offer us his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, so that we can be accepted by the Father, so that we can have a relationship with him. And so that's what Jesus offers us. And uh, it's something that's available freely because it's by grace alone. We don't have to perform, we don't have to reach any certain level of maturity in order to, to, to come to Jesus. You just need to come exactly as you are. And uh, the Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Three days after Jesus died on the cross, he rose again. He's alive today. He's on the throne. And he is making the same invitation to you today, that you can come, that you can open the door to him, that you can receive forgiveness, that you can receive life. And so that's how the, the church community is formed. That's how the Antioch community was formed. They were a surrendered community. They were a forgiven community. They were a believing community, believing in the life, the death, 
and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It was a community that came to Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, with nothing else required. And that's why in our mission statement, we say that we're a gospel-centered community, because this is at the core, this is fundamental to who we are as a people. So firstly, um, a gospel community. Secondly, a pioneering community. Um, I really love the, the DNA of this church in, in Antioch. Um, we're told in Acts chapter 8 that a great persecution broke out against the church after Stephen was stoned, and all except the apostles were scattered. And uh, so I want you to just imagine that, that um, there's a persecution that breaks out and only the core leaders remain, everyone else scatters. And after tragic events like that, you may expect to hear that, you know, the believers scattered, they, they hid, um, and then they, they ran for their lives. And so that was what you may expect. But actually, in reality, these believers did something completely different. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so... Yeah, I just want us to think about the courage that that required because they had been persecuted. Some of them were losing their lives. They fled to another city. And then what they did was to continue to preach the word, to identify themselves as Christians, to open themselves up to further persecution. And that required a great amount of courage. And the book of Acts and the advance of Christianity actually turns on acts of courage like this. In Acts chapter 11, um, starting at verse 19, it catalogs the, the kingdom damage that these believers did as they took the gospel to town after town. We read in Acts chapter 11, from verse 19, it says the following. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so, friends, the, the DNA of this church in Antioch should be the DNA of every church. It should be the DNA of our church. It's God's, it's God's desire that every believer be equipped for works of ministry and be sent out to inflict serious damage for the kingdom. And, uh, friends, this is not a, a new story. Um, it's, it's part of our story here at One Tribe. Three of the eldership couples have moved from other cities to Nairobi in order to, to serve this church, to, to serve the gospel um, here in Nairobi. But you don't have to relocate um, from one city to another. That, you know, that's a specific calling on, on, on particular people. Wherever God has placed you, his desire is that you be used for his kingdom through the gifting that he's given you. And so this is a critical point in the, in the life of one tribe. We've, we've been around for five years. We've received much blessing. And now God is calling us to, to send out, to, go, to be a blessing to others in other nations. And as we do that, there's a, a need to, to raise up more leaders, for others to take up more responsibility uh, and to serve. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you are not yet serving at One Tribe, God has given you gifts that he wants you to deploy here in this community uh, and to pioneer and to advance his kingdom. And so I would encourage you to, to get involved and to, to find a way in which you can serve and use the gifts that God's given you, because that's what you were created for. Okay, that's, that's the second one. The third one is that they were a multiracial community. We're told that some of those who had been scattered went down to Antioch and they preached the gospel not only to Jews but to Greeks also in the passage we just read. So to be in the church in Antioch was to be in a multiracial community. And uh, 
Acts chapter 13, the verse we read at the beginning, shows that the leadership team here was also completely multiracial. What you had was, was Europeans and Africans leading together, black and white in the same leadership team. And why is that important? Well, it's important because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, but also to, to rescue lots and lots of people, a multitude no one can count, but also lots and lots of different people, people from every tribe and tongue, and then to see those lots of people and lots of different people all worshiping together. And here in Antioch, we see this for the first time, lots of people from diverse backgrounds worshiping together. And this is really huge. It really it reflects the heart of God. It's at the center of the gospel. And I think it's the reason why the Antioch church becomes the gateway to everything else that happens in the book of Acts. The spotlight, if you like, moves from the essentially monocultural church in Jerusalem to this multiracial church in Antioch. And the reason for that, it wasn't gifting. It was makeup. It was, it was something intentional because God's desire is that every church reflect this. And so I want to read from John Piper, who's, who's one of my heroes. And uh, I just want to just read his, his description of why it's so important to have a diverse group of people worshiping together. John Piper says the following, God aims to create one new people in Christ who are reconciled to each other across racial lines. Not strangers, not aliens, no enmity, not far off. Fellow citizens of one Christian city of God, one temple for inhabitation of God. And he did this at the cost of his son's life. We love to dwell on our reconciliation with God through the death of his son, and well we should. It is precious beyond measure to have peace with God. But let us also dwell on this, that God ordained the death of his son to reconcile alien people groups to each other in one body in Christ. This too was the design of the death of Christ. Think of this. Jesus died to take the enmity and anger and disgust and jealousy and self-pity and fear and envy and hatred and malice and indifference away from your heart towards all other persons who are in Christ by faith, whatever the race. If we want the meaning and the worth and the beauty and the power of the cross of Christ to be seen and loved in our churches, and if the design of the death of his son is not only to reconcile us to God, but also to reconcile alienated ethnic groups to each other in Christ, then will we not display and magnify the cross of Christ better by more and deeper and sweeter ethnic diversity and unity in our worship and life? Yes. A thousand times yes. God is more glorified by diversity than he is by uniformity. And we are not a multiracial community by accident. It's by intention. And that's why, why we're called One Tribe. Our core intention is to glorify God with all our might. And so our diversity does that. And so we want to celebrate it. We want to treasure it. We want to nurture it. We want to guard it. And so I want to say that if you're here this morning and you feel like you're, in a, you're a minority and you feel like there's not many other people here that are culturally similar to you, then I just want to say that you are so welcome, that we love you. We love having you amongst us. You being part of this community glorifies God. It's part of God's intention that we from every tribe and tongue, gathered together. And so if you're in a minority here this morning, please just feel so welcome, so loved, and uh, so celebrated because this is such an important part of who God has made us to be as a community. Fourthly, uh, a growing community is what we see in the church in Antioch. Healthy things grow uh, and healthy churches grow. And uh, the Antioch church was one seriously healthy church. Three times in the space of six verses in chapter 11, we are told that great numbers of people 
gathered in Antioch. In verse 21, we're told that a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24, we're told that um, Barnabas's visit to Antioch resulted in a great number of people being brought to the Lord. Verse 24, told that, sorry, verse 26, um, unless we think that these were superficial conversions, we see that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So small is, is beautiful, is not a verse in the Bible because Jesus is coming back for a massive bride, a multitude that, that no one can count. And the way God that has designed that for happen, to happen is for local churches to, to meet in greater and greater numbers of people. And so the application, friends, for us is that God wants more and more people to join this local community and for us to multiply what we are doing. And that's the primary reason why we have multiply at the beginning of our mission statement is because it's too small a thing just to keep this to ourselves. God is wanting us to, to grow here as a body, to multiply it out within Nairobi, and then to multiply it out through the nations. And so um, we want to be a growing church as we see in the church in Antioch. The Antioch church were also radical Christ followers. Verse 25 of chapter 11 says the following, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, they met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. There was such a radical following of Jesus that the pagans nicknamed them Christians. It was such a core to the identity. It's what they spoke about. It's what, what exuded from them that they were, for the first time, nicknamed Christians. That was the only name that could be given to them because they were so radically following Jesus. And so the, the application for us is to ask, what are we known as? Amongst our, our colleagues at work, amongst our friends, amongst our family, are you known as a radical Christ follower? Is there an aroma of Christ in your life? Is there, is there a significant difference in the way that you're living not just the way, not just what you profess, but the way that you live that identifies you as someone that is Christ-like. So we want to be aspiring to be like that, to be salt and light on the earth, to be radical in this generation, to be shining for Jesus into, into the darkness and not just be blending in with our culture. Sixthly, they were a community with leaders. And so what is very interesting about the way this church in Antioch was formed is that actually the, those that went there weren't in any leadership role in the church in Jerusalem at all. And, um, and so they could have kind of rejected a biblical leadership model um, in going there. They could have fallen into two particular errors. They could have said, first of all, actually, we started this church by ourselves. We don't, we don't actually need you guys from Jerusalem. We'll just do it by ourselves. Or they could have said, you know, um, we've done this without leadership. Let's just try a model where, you know, we don't have leaders and we all just do this together. And um, we're kind of the nameless, faceless church in Antioch. But they avoid both of those, those errors and they, they exercise maturity. Um, firstly, they receive outside help from, from Jerusalem, um, from Barnabas. They also receive Paul from Tarsus. And although God is greatly blessing this church, there's a huge amount of blessing. They don't take that as a sign of independence and of the fact that they don't need anyone else. And so that's true for us as a church as well. We're part of a family of churches called Advance, and we regularly invite input from fathers in the faith that are um, outside of ourselves. And as elders, we do that. We, we invite um, other guys to come in and, and give input into our eldership meetings. And you will notice that, you know, we have a, a regular um, flow of, of other speakers that come from other nations to come and speak here. That'll also continue during the next year. And so we, we gladly receive gifts from outside of our own body, recognizing that we don't have all the answers and that we're a, we're a worldwide community on a mission for God. And secondly, they... They raised up a leadership team um, here in Antioch. They did the exact opposite of saying, who needs leaders? And so in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we get this list of the, of the leaders, the, the prophets and the teachers that exist in Antioch. 
um, you know, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. And so, brothers and sisters, if we want to follow Scripture, we are, if we want to follow the instruction manual, then Ephesians 4, uh, 11 to 13, makes it clear that leadership in the church is a gift from God, a gift from Jesus, in order for the building up of the church. It says in Ephesians 4, um, in chapter 11, so Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the body and to build it up. And so uh, the application for us is that we are all in various contexts, either following or leading. And uh, where we're following, we want to follow strongly. Where, we, where we're leading, we want to lead strongly. Seventhly, they were a community of the Word and the Spirit. We're told that in the Antioch leadership team, there were both teachers and prophets. And so this church was one that was Word and Spirit. This was a church that we know that was well taught. Um, they had teachers among them, and this was a situation that was not unique to Antioch. Throughout um, the early church, it was characterized by this passion for the Word of God. And in the book of Acts, there are 28 references to the Word of God. And so what we see in the book of Acts is that apostolic advance and commitment to the Word of God went hand in hand. And there's many examples of this. I'll just give you a few. In Acts chapter 2, it says the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 4, we hear the early church crying out to God. And they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The effect of their prayers was as follows. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 6, we're told that the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The leader's priority was praying and ministering the word. In Acts chapter 8, we read those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. In Acts chapter 15, which we will get to shortly, Paul and Barnabas, after returning from this missionary journey, says they taught and preached the word of the Lord. So in the book of Acts, we see that the advance of God's kingdom and commitment to the word of God go hand in hand. In fact, they are so closely connected that the spread of the word of God becomes kind of second hand for the spread of the church. We have lots of examples of that. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, so the word of God spread. Acts chapter 12, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts chapter 13, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 19, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And so fundamentally, gospel advance needs to go hand in hand with a commitment to the word of God. And I thank God that in the last five years, this church has been founded and built on the careful teaching of God's word. This is a church where we honor the, the authenticity and sufficiency of scripture. It's why our messages are expounded from Scripture, not from the ideas of men. It's why we preach through verse by verse through books of the Bible like we're doing now in Acts. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so, friends, we want to be those that tremble at God's word, not those that pass any judgment on it, but not those that are cynical about it, but we tremble at the word of God and joyfully submit to it. We want to be a community that is fundamentally shaped by the Word of God. It's exactly what we're doing this morning. We're saying, God, this is the kind of church we want to build. We want to be like this. Help us. But we're not just shaped by the Word of God. We're also shaped by the prophetic. 
In Antioch, they weren't just teachers, they were prophets and teachers. And now if you've been following this message clearly, you might be thinking to yourself, if the Bible is fully sufficient uh, and final authority, why do we also need prophecy? Well, the answer to that is because the Bible tells us so. In Ephesians 2.20, we're told that the church ought to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 4, which we read earlier, tells us that the church isn't brought to maturity just by the apostles, but by the prophets as well. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, we're told to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. 1 Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt. And so it's out of our love for and submission to Scripture that we joyfully embrace prophecy. It's something that's, that's fundamental to how this church should be built because we want to hear from God, His here and now word for us as He speaks through the Holy Spirit. And when you embrace prophecy in a significant way, it really does shape how you build and how the church moves forward. And for the Antioch church, that, that was very significant. There are, there are two massive prophetic words that this, this church had that, that shaped the way that they were. The first was in, in Acts chapter 11. And um, let me read it to you. It says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this later happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each one as he was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so... You know, the Bible tells us to remember the poor, and we, we know that it's, it's God's heart to have compassion for those that are in need. But this prophetic word helped them to respond in the here and now to something that was about to happen, to be proactive, and it shaped the way that this church operated. They, they, they put social justice into action because of this prophetic word and were able to support, before even the famine happened, the, the brothers that were living in Judea. And so that was, that was huge in terms of the early church. The second big prophetic word is the one that we read right at the beginning, in Acts chapter 13 and in verse 2, it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And that not only had, not only had massive implications for the Antioch church as, as starting to establish them as this missional sending base that sent out many others as well, but it also obviously had massive implications for the history of the church. This was the, the first missionary journey, the mission impossible that we're going to be looking at in this series where Paul and Barnabas went out and they planted churches all across the Roman world. It was the beginning of the significant advance of the kingdom of God um, into the known world. And so, you know, these things are massive. It's, um, you know, we, we know that God's called us to be a people that remember the poor. We know that God's called us to be missional. But these prophetic words were God's specific direction in that moment, saying, now this is what I want you to do as a people. And it's the same for us. We, you know, this, this vision and, and what we're talking about, investing in Avati, that didn't come from nowhere. That was God speaking and saying, this is, this is what I have for you in the season. This is what I'm calling you to. You know, us moving to Cairo, we didn't just think that's a good idea because it said it in the Bible. God spoke through prophetic words to us. And, and as, you know, for the last 20 years, God has been putting that in our hearts and speaking through prophetic words. And so the way we move forward isn't just through the word of God. It's also his here and now through prophecy saying, this is what I've got for you. This is what I want you to do. And so in this church, we love prophecy. We, we embrace it. We don't despise it. We don't hold it in contempt and we encourage it. And so I want to encourage you to, to fan into flame those gifts within you. God is asking us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And so that's something that we should all be praying for, praying for more of the Holy Spirit, asking for God to speak to us, not just for ourselves, for our families, but also corporately for us as a church. We want to hear what God has to say to us as a people. 
The next thing is that the Antioch church was a church that remembered the poor, as I've already alluded to. We just read that they, they send their gifts in response to this prophetic word to the, the church in Judea. So there's the, this Galatians 6 care and compassion that exists in this church. Galatians 6, it says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So what God has called us to do is, is not just to preach the gospel, not just to tell people the good news in word, but also to respond to the practical needs that we see um, in the places that we find ourselves, to, to remember the poor, to see their need, and to do something practically to help them. And uh, there's a Pamoja course going on this morning, which is a, a course um, where we, we talk about becoming a member of this church, and we talk through kind of our vision, but we also talk through what we, what we believe, we talk through our values. And one of the values of this church is compassion. What that means is that we move towards the need in the city, not away from it. We, we care for those that are vulnerable in the city. And that's why we have a haki ministry um, that exists in this church. Sean's already mentioned this morning about the, the, the Deaf Coffee Project. Providing practical employment opportunities is one of the things that we do through that. But we also support orphans. We support vulnerable street kids. And so there's, there's, there's members of this church that are investing their lives in making sure that the, the, the poor and vulnerable are taken care in the city. And so that you know, if one tribe was to disappear, the city would really feel it. And so you know, your giving goes towards that. But uh, there's always opportunity for more to volunteer and to get involved for life groups to say, hey, we want to support one of these ministries um, and, and, and see how we can serve. And so that's really at the heart of who we are as a people, that we care for the city. And we care not just to tell them the good news about Jesus, but we care for their practical needs. And so we're looking to, to work that out as much as we can. Ninthly, they were a praying community. You know, this, this big prophetic word that comes to send out Paul and Barnabas was, you know, had so much huge ramifications. That came in the context of prayer. They were, they were in a prayer meeting when God spoke to them. And uh, that kind of theme is, is true throughout the whole book of Acts. I'd encourage you to do a study and just look at prayer meetings in the book of Acts and then what happened next. And what you'll find is that every single prayer meeting is connected with massive kingdom advance. And so it's clear from the book of Acts that God loves prayer meetings. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. And so I want to encourage us to be a praying people. To not only be praying individually, to be coming to God on a daily basis and being in his presence and, and praying but also to be a praying corporate community. And so as elders, we want to continue to encourage you to, to join the O2 prayer meeting on a Sunday morning. Because if we want to see massive kingdom advance, if we want to see, we want to do the things that we see the early disciples do. We need to be praying as they did. We need to be on our knees before God because that's, that's where it starts. And that's not something that's just the, it's the responsibility of the elders. The elders must be praying, but it's the responsibility of all of us. If we, if we collectively want to see God move, then we should gather together to pray more. And O2 on a Sunday morning is a great opportunity. I know that getting up 45 minutes earlier on a Sunday morning, it's your precious weekend. I know that's super hard. But um, I just want to say that I love being in that prayer meeting on a Sunday morning. I, I wouldn't miss it. And, and because not only are we, are we sort of breaking down the gates of hell, we, we're, we're ushering in God's kingdom as we pray, but it also, it's a blessing I come away from that prayer meeting encouraged and fortified and built up. And I'm hitting worship on a Sunday morning and my soul is singing already. So it's a blessing to us as well. 
And um, so I just want to encourage you, uh, please consider joining us on a Sunday morning and praying. The last thing is that they were a sending community. The Antioch church was, was faithful to their roots. This was a church that had received blessing as others had been sent in, and they weren't a cul-de-sac of that blessing. They didn't kind of want to hold it all to themselves and say, hey guys, we, you know, this is so great, you know, let's just keep it like it is. They were willing to send out their best because their eyes were on the nations. It wasn't just about them and their story. It was also about God's fame and renown in the nations. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be able to, to send out just as we've received. And you know, us as a family moving to Cairo, that's, that's part of that. And that's not to say that it's easy. It's much better and easier in the natural just to, to stay and to enjoy all that God is doing here. But it's not about us. It's not just about our story. It's about God's story. It's about what he wants to do. And there are multitudes in the nations that do not have the gospel, do not have a, a church community amongst them that can shed the light. And so we want to do that. And that's why in our mission statement we say we want to multiply churches in Nairobi and beyond because that's what God's called us to. That's what he called the Antioch church to. And it's, it's a key part of being a New Testament church. So those are our 10 characteristics of the type of church that God is wanting to build so what we're attempting to build here in Nairobi by God's grace. And I just want to say that um, that is not something just um, kind of philosophical. It, it's something that should impact every one of us at a personal level, because the church is not just kind of this vague collection. It's actually made up of living stones. You and I are each, as we are, are built together, are the church. And actually, if we want God's kingdom to come, if we want to, to see these things happen, it's, it's up to each one of us to live out these things and to, to seek God's kingdom and to, to be attempting to say, Lord, how can I contribute to ensuring that we're, we're a church like this? And that's not, that's not without cost. It's, uh, Jesus laid down his life for the church, and as followers of Jesus, we're called to also lay down our lives for him, to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus said that um, if a grain of wheat, the grain of wheat doesn't fall to the ground, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Whoever loves his life and in this life will lose it. But whoever hates his life for me will find eternal life. And so what God is calling us each to is to, to give of ourselves, to give of our lives to the building of his church, to the advancing of his kingdom. And so I want this to be personal for us this morning. I want, I want us to be personally challenged, me included, to say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What, what's the lane that you want me to run in in order to ensure that, that your kingdom advances here in Nairobi and beyond, that we, we create this city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden, that, that lives out these, these characteristics, these values that, that God is, is trying to build. And uh, I just want to say that um, the testimony of, of our lives is that we've given ourselves to doing this, even at the cost of other things, that there's more blessing in giving and laying down your life for Jesus than you could ever be. There's more satisfaction and fulfillment in living like this because it's the way that God created us to live. God um, didn't create us to live for ourselves, for our own comfort. We're, in following Jesus, we're, we're looking outward, we're looking to others, we're looking to see how we can serve and use the gifts that he's given us. And so that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be an army that's on, on, on the move for Jesus, where every, every part of the body is playing their part. And so... Um, 
Yeah, I just want to, I want to pray for us, um, that God would help us in that. You know, we sang earlier the Lord's Prayer, which is, um, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And um, well, what we want to say at a personal level is, is Lord, yeah, help your kingdom to come through me. Your will be done in my life, not my own will, but yours. And so it's about surrender. It's about coming to the foot of the cross and saying, Lord Jesus, you, you gave your life for me. My life's not my own. And I, I just want to live for you. I want to do what you've called me to do. And so um, why don't we stand? And uh, I just want to, want to pray a prayer of, of surrender for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that we are ones who have received your grace. We are ones, are ones who have been rescued by you. Not that we deserved anything, Lord God, but you came and you found us. And you've redeemed our lives from the pit. You've made us your sons and daughters. You've brought us into this wonderful family. You've blessed us, Lord, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your grace, for your love, for the fact that you've changed our lives, that you've given us hope, that you've given us eternal life. And Lord God, we recognize that we just have this one life to live for you. And Lord, we, we, I just pray, Lord, help us not to waste our lives. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for, for destiny. Thank you for calling. Thank you for purpose. And that you've got that for each one of us, Lord God. And we, we don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. And so this morning, I just pray that you'd speak, Lord God. We're here. We're, we're surrendered to you, Lord God. We, we're here in your presence. And we say, here we are, Lord God. Will you use us? Will you deploy us according to your will? And not for our own sake, not for our own comfort, Lord, but for your glory for your fame. Oh Lord God, may you use this church to be such a, such a light in this city, such a light in Kenya and within the nations as we surrender ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord.